0: Well, good morning. Is it well? I hope that it's well. I guess we can say Merry Christmas now, can't we? Merry Christmas. We're in the middle of it. So I want to start today, just jump right in with a question. You ready? So the question for everybody in the room is this, is basically, are your holidays crazy already? How many of you say yes? How many say no? All right. If you say no, just wait. If you... If you said yes, raise your hands again, okay, just hold your hands up, confess, okay, it's crazy. You realize it's December 2nd, right? You realize that, all right? Here's, for those of you that said, yes, it's crazy, I have two words for you, stop it. (laughs) Don't you wish it was that easy, right? Isn't it funny and and really kind of sad how we do this to ourselves? How we tend to lean into crazy in a season that really should be one of reflection, uh, celebration, and serenity. I've had a couple moments in the last few weeks where there's been sort of this collision of chaos and serenity in places that I were. So I want to tell you the two of them. The first one was Disneyland. Okay, so my family and I spent Thanksgiving Day and Thanksgiving weekend in Disneyland. Alright, some of you are like, are you crazy? Listen to me. No, you spent it with your family. You're crazy. Alright, so just go easy, alright? I'm kidding, sort of. And some of you were up at 1 a.m. chasing, you know, Friday deals. You're crazy, right? So the funny part is our family has spent so many holidays in Disneyland that it's sort of a place of serenity for us. I know that sounds weird. But on the second day, I had kind of had enough Disney, and I'm one of those guys because I'm an old guy, that can, can just kind of find a place of serenity. So I brought a book to Disneyland. You're judge- I, I just sense judgment in the room, <laughs> all right? And my family was going on one of the roller coasters that I don't ride because it just makes me, I'm not, I don't like it. And so I find this really great spot right in the middle of the park where people are walking by. And it's totally chaos. It's crowded. And I open my backpack and I pull out a book. And I'm not making this up. And I'm not that super spiritual dude. But the book that I was reading at the time, I'm still reading, is this book. And the title of the book was Jesus not making it up. So I'm reading, I'm pulling this book, I'm reading Jesus, and I got a cup of coffee. I am in the most peaceful mood of my life. People are going by, they're crazy, they're chasing fast passes, and I'm reading Jesus, and I'm drinking my coffee. And this family comes up, and they say, can you take my picture? So I set my Jesus book down, and I, I take, and I take their picture, and I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. And then I sit back down, and you're like, you are weird, and it's true. But when I thought about that, I thought, I'm having this moment of serenity in a place that is known and is full of chaos. But then I back up a couple weeks, and my wife and I were in New York City. And we were there, and we were, we were taking a day just to kind of see the sights. And if you've ever been in Manhattan, you know that Manhattan is just... It's crazyville, right? People are going and coming and doing all that. And it happened to be raining, so that just added another layer. And we decided we were going to go visit St. Patrick's Cathedral right in Midtown Manhattan. And we went into the place and here's what was interesting. So we went in and the first thing that has to happen in this place is you have to go through security now. So you go through security, and they wand you, and they check your bags. And then you go in, and this is supposed to be a place of serenity. But instead, you have people taking selfies. They're like lighting candles in front of the altar, and they're like taking selfies. And, they're, and, they're, and they're, it's, it's like a tourist trap. But on one part of the building, there were people sitting there lady. There's literally a lady weeping and just having a moment with God right and so i thought about i'm in disneyland a place of chaos and i'm finding serenity and then i'm in this place that's supposed to have serenity and it's filled with selfies and noise and chaos and so it occurred to me that serenity is really not a place to be pursued but it is a posture to have in our lives that serenity is actually possible, no matter where we actually physically or circumstantially find ourselves, and it, it especially during this holiday season, it may be something that we have to pursue and posture ourselves around. But just basically in the noise and the chaos and the craziness of our everyday life, and that's what this series over the next few weeks is really going to be centered around. Before we jump in deeper, I want to take just a moment welcome those who are at our southeast campus in Inspirata. Let's give them a little love this morning. As we're talking about continuing putting churches in these neighborhoods, we're just so glad. And people that are in our microsites or you're watching online in your pajamas today. Thank you for doing that. We appreciate it so much. Well, this series is called It Is Well, and we're going to be looking at the challenge of finding serenity and holding on to serenity. And we, the reason I say holding on is because serenity is something that can easily be shattered. It can be hard to find and easily be shattered. I mean, you lose a job, serenity can be lost. You get depressed, your parents go through a divorce or you go through a divorce, or the doctor says these words, it's cancer, and you pause, right? Your girlfriend says she doesn't love you anymore. You find yourself worrying about your kids, or you're worried about money, and you just can't stop all of that, and you're searching for serenity. What would it be like to live in a place where all those things never happen and they never come? Well, there isn't one of those places, right? But Jesus did say this in John. He said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And this is really important. He said, I do not give it to you as the world gives. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying the peace the world gives is the kind that demands that you are being in a place or that you are in the midst of pleasant circumstances, right? So it's it's, I'm on vacation. It's 75 degrees. I'm driving a perfect Lexus to my perfect beach cottage, right? My kids are perfectly behaved, and they're wearing their little Gap Kids shirt, right? Your spouse is perfect. The mahi-mahi is grilling, and it's perfect as well, right? And you would say, then you would notice that isn't actually your family, right? Your kids have, your kids have acne, your spouse has issues, Right? Your boss is a psychopath. Your car's transmission is broken down, and your therapist is on vacation. That's us, right? So, where do you find serenity and peace in those? moments. And it's not just the dramatic challenges of our lives that can shatter our serenity, but there's little moments, right? It's this traffic jam. It's this irritating coworker. It's the the stupid email. It's the flat tire. It's the stupid fight, again, over whose stupid turn it is to take the stupid trash out to the curb on Friday nights, right? And all of these things pile up. So if serenity is not based on pleasant circumstances... Or peaceful places. It must be a byproduct. And I believe it's a byproduct of finding, of finding a solid spiritual posture to position your life around. So there's this prayer called the Serenity Prayer. It's been around for decades. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's a simple little spiritual tool that we're going to be talking about that can help you focus on. Now, if you're here on Monday nights, Monday nights, we have something called Celebrate Recovery, CR, and it's awesome. Some of you are there at it. It's awesome, and it's open to anybody. You can come in, and it's just a, a time where people get together, and we're, cel- we're celebrating, but we're also leaning in together on how do, we, how do we heal our habits and our hurts, and how do we, how do we get past some of those addictions in our lives? and those things that stop us. So I was talking to Jeff, one of our pastors who helps lead this out, and Trey, some of those guys, and, and they were talking about, they use this prayer all the time. It's a big part of what, how they open in their groups, how they close. It's a big deal. And I thought the prayer was really short, but it's actually, I learned this week, it's longer than I thought. So we're going to read it together. Is that cool? And if you could have them put it up full screen on the sides, Amber, that would be great. Let's read this together. Here you go. Ready? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the part we all know. But keep paying attention. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. Taking, as he did, the sinful world as it is not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will. I love this part. (laughs) That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Come on. That's good stuff. Now I want us to hone in today on that very first part. Very first part that that says we need the serenity to accept the things that we cannot change. And since it's the Christmas series, season. It's the perfect time for us to have this conversation because you have things in your life and you also have things this season that you are not going to be able to change. And how do I find serenity in the midst of it? And we're going to do that by looking at the life of Mary. right? And we may feel like We're familiar with it. Lee, I've heard the story. You got your little Mary out this week, and you put her in the nativity with all the shepherds and all those things. But there were a lot of challenges, not just in the beginning when we meet Mary, as we're going to in that narrative, but also throughout her life. There are so many challenges that that she faced that will cause us to really think about what does it mean for our lives and how we truly pray this prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And the story begins with the angel Gabriel. We've heard it, right? And she approaches Mary. And here's what the angel Gabriel says to Mary from the very beginning. And this just sort of blows up her world. So I know you've heard this a million times. Do me a favor. Try to hear this as if it's the first time you've heard it. All right? Try to do that. Here we go. The angel says to her, today, he says, Mary, you will conceive... You will give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That probably got her attention. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now you might think Mary heard that as a young girl and went, yes. Right? You might think that in her head she's thinking it is so awesome. I get to be the mother of Jesus. All generations will call me blessed. They will know and honor my name. I will have a football pass named after me. And people will say my name at all times. I will be the most talked about, honored and photographs will be everywhere of me. I will be the most, the most pictured individual until Kim Kardashian comes along in the history of the world that people will see. But instead, the text does not say that Mary said awesome. Instead, it says that she was greatly troubled. She was freaked out. Here's what it says. Mary was greatly troubled. She was not excited at the words of the angel. You see, It's easy for us to read these narratives, get familiar with them, and also we read them without understanding the real context of what was happening. We assume she knew from the beginning what we all know looking backwards. That's why we need the serenity prayer. The great philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, man, this this messed me up this week. He wrote the following once, and I think it's so true. Life can only be understood backwards. But it must be lived forwards. And that's how Mary had to live her life. She was given a daunting assignment from God. She is a young woman. She is engaged, not married. She is engaged and she is pregnant. Joseph, who is her fiancé, is not only not being married and being pregnant, but the person that she's engaged to is not the father. Mary would be considered an adulteress by her friends and family, and in the Torah, which was the law that guided and and helped this culture move and be with God, the the law of the Torah was the Torah was the punishment would be that she would be stoned, not stoned like some of you stoned, like physically stoned. All right, some of you are like, "Whoa, dude!" No, not that. And if by chance Joseph, who had this option, chose not to have her punished, still in that light, he could he he by law he was not to marry her. So at best the outcome would be that she would now be left destitute. She would be shunned by her little village, right? She would be forced to raise her son as a single mom alone, and her son, as he came of age, would be taunted as an illegitimate. Um, Uh, child, and he would be excluded, not just from relationships probably, but would be excluded from the holy places, would be excluded from the temple. Now we know the story didn't turn out that way, but Mary didn't know that. You see, the serenity to accept, Mary had to be willing to accept uncertain outcomes, uncertain outcomes. She said this, here was her response, I am the Lord's servant, she answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Translated frankly, Mary said, bring it on. Bring it on. She had to be willing to accept uncertain outcomes. Uncertain outcomes. And that's the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. We don't know how it's all going to turn out. Now, after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple, which would have been common. And there was a man there named Simeon. He was an older man. And he took this baby, took Jesus, and he blessed him. And he prophesied this great destiny. You can read about it for the child. And you think this would be wonderful for Mary. But then what happened is a little strange because then he adds some words. And the words he adds is not directed to the baby. It's not even directed towards Joseph. It's literally him stopping and pausing and looking at Mary and saying, a sword will pierce your own soul also. What? These are important words for us to hear. They're going to thread through Mary's entire life story. A sword will pierce your own soul also. That is a weird way to end a blessing. Oh, by the way, Mary must have wondered leaving the temple going home up late at night what does this mean what is this sword that's going to pierce my soul but she knows pain is coming discomfort is coming and so she prays god grant me the serenity grant me the serenity she also has to accept not just unknown outcomes but financial hardships some of you are like yep i feel that in israel when a woman would have a child the she was expected to offer a lamb, a perfect lamb, to go to the temple and offer this lamb as a sacrifice for the child. But Mary could not afford that. So there was an alternative. It would have been two doves or two young pigeons. Now imagine standing there, right? You're there with all the other families that are there with their baby for this, for this moment. And they have gone to downtown Summerlin, and they have bought this beautiful christening gown For this little baby. And there's Mary who may have gone to Goodwill. And Jesus is dressed there and she's waiting there. And she doesn't have a lamb. She just has the alternative sacrifice. The minimum sacrifice, right? Every mom aches to have the best for her baby. But the priests take care of the other families first with the lamb. Because life often goes that way. If you're poor, you wait. And Mary waited. She thinks maybe the sword that Simeon was talking about was finance. Maybe that's the thing that I'm going to have to endure. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. But Mary would also have to learn to accept her inability to control other people, especially her son. When Jesus turned 12, this is one small story that we get of his childhood. We don't get much about Jesus growing up. We kind of leap from birth to he's. 30 years old. But we get one small glimpse in one narrative when he's 12 and the family had gone to the temple in Jerusalem to worship and they had been there and then they, they headed home and Mary and Joseph assumed that Jesus was with some relatives and was part of their kind of caravan, their travel tour that was going back home. And so they didn't even know that he had stayed behind and he, Jesus was lost for three days. Three days. I think losing a child is one of a parent's absolute worst nightmares, right? We lost one of ours at SeaWorld and lost one at Target. Not at the same time, different times. And we retrieved them both. They're, they're fine now. But if you've ever lost a child, some of you like, you've lost a child for 10 seconds. It is the most excruciating moment to lose a child. So imagine Mary and Joseph learning that this had happened if you, if you were the parent. And the child that they lost was Jesus, the Son of God. Now, I don't know how prayer worked. So we just got to imagine a little bit. But I, I kind of picture Gabriel coming back to Mary and saying, like, yo, Mary, right? What's up? How's it going? You, have you seen Jesus? You know, the Messiah, the one that, that was born of God for you, God in the flesh, your job was to raise him. And she says, oh, yeah, I, I remember that. That's Jesus. I told Joseph to watch him. You know how men are, Right. And so finally they go back to the temple in the story and they find Jesus there as a 12-year-old and he's astounding people with his knowledge and his wisdom. And it's interesting because the person who kind of confronts Jesus is Mary, not Joseph. Joseph's just kind of flicking him in the ear like you're an idiot, right? And Mary says this to him. She says, son, all the moms can relate to this. Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And every parent knows that feeling. Even if it's not a 12-year-old. Even if you have adult children now in your life. You, you, you think this sometimes. Like, why are you treating me this way? Why have you dealt with this in this way? We have been searching for you. We have been searching for you anxiously. Maybe that's the sword she's got to deal with that Simeon referred to. Her anxiety. And Jesus... It's kind of funny, actually. He, he isn't even apologetic. He's got a little bit of 12-year-old attitude, all right? He's son of God, but he's human. And so here's the human side of 12-year-old coming out. He says, why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Stop it, right? <laughs> and Mary had to be asking the question, what do I do if I can't control people? What if I can't fix them? What if I can't nag them enough or advise them enough? What do I do with my children, my child? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. And then we're told this, that Jesus did this. He went down to Nazareth with his parents, and he was obedient to them. But we read something interesting for the second time about Mary, that she treasured all these things in her heart. This last phrase is used a few times. After Jesus was born, if you read the Christmas narrative, and the shepherds were told of his birth, and they come and they celebrate, and then it says the shepherds, that's what shepherds do, they went out and told everybody what they had experienced, but it says that Mary just pondered those things, that she kept them in her heart. Accepting what I cannot change, among other things, requires actually making space and being fully present. That's where I believe the posture of serenity comes in. The place that Mary found herself at times in her life was both confusing and at other times challenging. But her posture always was to be fully present to whatever God was up to. That line that she said to Gabriel, I am your servant. Make it happen. Use me would describe that, and she had to be present with God, whatever he was doing, despite her inability to control it. The alternative is to live in a mental state that author Janice Moderino calls this, continuous partial attention, the failure to be fully present. If you're wondering what this wonderful phrase was, it's because you're doing it right now. I'm really good at this, and my wife hates it. I'm so good at it. Like, she can be telling me a story and talking to me, and I'm looking at my phone or I'm reading a book. And she'll say, you aren't even listening to me. And I'll, I'll just rattle back everything she said over the last three or four minutes. It just drives her nuts, right? Or we'll be watching Hallmark. <laughs> and I position myself kind of in the rear. So she's watching, and I'm supposed to be watching. And she'll look back like, you're not watching. I'm like, I'm watching. I'm watching. And then I'll say, What happens? I'll say, Well, what always happens? It's the handyman, right? It's going to save the youth center, and the boyfriend's a jerk. And so she's like, Oh, you kill me, right? Because continuous partial attention can be an awesome trait, but it can also be a problem when it comes to trying to keep our pulse and our finger on what God is up to and what He is constantly doing. Accepting means instead of regretting the past, I cannot fix or trying to worry or control the future, I can't. I have to be fully present in this moment right now, in this moment, and be fully aware of where God is also fully present. But that wouldn't be the last thing that Mary would have to accept. Okay, There's one more thing that she's got to deal with. Jesus, eventually, he becomes a man. He's 30 years old, and he goes public. And he begins to travel, and he begins to teach, and he begins to do all these things. And Mary, at the beginning, assuming, she's probably like, finally. Like, I knew that this was going to happen. I knew this is why I've been through all these struggles, all these challenges. I, we've been harassed. I'm just waiting for this moment for Jesus to step forward, proclaim he is the Son of God. He's the Messiah we've been waiting for. And then things are going to change. She, she had to think that way. But instead... Jesus starts doing the strangest things, right? He breaks the Sabbath. He touches lepers. He hangs out and eats with tax collectors. He allows a prostitute to bathe his feet with her hair, right? He's supposed to be. We thought he was going to get rid of sinners in Israel, but Jesus is actually partying with them. The Pharisees, the religious leaders that Mary would think, man, these folks, they're surely going to rally around this Messiah. Now they're trying to kill him. And this has got to be so strange for her and her family. This was not the plan. All of those years, all of those challenges, all of those hardships, she had to be believing that eventually change was coming. There had to be expectations of what was around the corner when people realized who Jesus actually was. God... Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, including my expectations, both of others and of God himself. See, we we don't always unpack Mary in that way. We just view her as some picture that we've seen painted. We don't understand the emotions and the humanity of who she was and how difficult it must have been. But when we fast forward to the end of Jesus' life, we start to get it. Because when we stand at the foot of the cross and Jesus is being crucified, the Bible tells us that near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, that she was there. And imagine that the body that was promised to her by an angel that she carried in her womb, the body that that she laid in the manger, the same body that she fed and she changed and she rocked and she bathed, She loved. Here's that same body that was whipped with lashes and nailed to a cross and hung up to die. That was not her expectation at all. They take him down from the cross and they pierce his body. And the body that she loves and she's held and she's hugged begins to flow with blood. And Mary remembers Simeon's word, a sword will pierce your heart as well. If you live long enough, a sword will pierce your heart. It just will. You will love somebody, something, and it will kill you. It will pierce you. You'll have a person that you'd give anything in the world and everything in the world to help, and you can't help them. You'll say a word or make a choice That one day you would pay everything you have to take it back. And everything you have is still not enough. A sword will pierce your heart. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Now, not because accepting them will make my life more pleasant. Not because I can't control them anyway. Not because accepting them is a good tool for emotional management. Not because I'm just trying to muddle through life until I get to the end, but because of this. But because the God of the cross is also the God of the resurrection. And when Jesus was a boy, it was the third day that they found him in the temple. And when Jesus was a man, it was the third day that they couldn't find him in the tomb. So that's just it. The resurrection, the centerpiece, the crux of all things. And the resurrection allows us it allows us to have this one word, ushering in this one word that is so powerful. It's this word redemption. Redemption. That word is so life changing, especially when it comes to the things that we cannot change. Because when we embrace the resurrection that ushers in the possibility of redemption for you and for me and our circumstances, we're trusting that God is ultimately writing a story. That when my expectations are not met, that when I can't control him or her, or when I can't control those outcomes, that it is God who is redeeming, that it is God who is working, that God is doing things that I can't see, that you can't see, that we can't even imagine, that is at work. And we live with the confidence that he is doing that because the heart that will be pierced with the sword will be remade at some point with joy. And because people that I love are infinitely better off in God's hands than they would be in mine. Life is messy, though. You're like, yeah. It's messy. And messiness of life leads to pain. And pain and suffering. Man. It is such a part of our lives. But in that pl- pain that we all experience, we believe, is the promise of redemption. And it means something. I was listening to a podcast last week. And in it, they were describing some powerful moments in the aftermath of a terrible tragedy that you might have read about with a junior hockey team in a small town in Canada. Back in April earlier this year, a small junior hockey team, Humboldt Broncos. Right, And they were traveling to an away game. There was about 30 of them on the bus and the semi came through a a light and hit their bus and almost instantaneously 16 people were killed from the team or half the team including coaches. And, and you, you got to understand, like, in, like, we love the Knights, right? Like, we think, well, Knights, Knights. You see people now, and they're walking around, and you're like, you see them with a Knights logo, and you're like, Knights, right? We think we love hockey. If you're from Canada, like, it's a thing. And, and not, not like the NHL even, like they love their Canadian hockey team, but like deep down in like the minor leagues and the junior teams, like these towns, like they surround these young players. They live with them in their homes. They take them on, And so in Humboldt, to lose these individuals, it was such a deep pain. It was something that they were struggling to accept. It rocked that community. It rocked especially those families who lost loved ones. And on this podcast, they were talking to Sean Brando, who is the pastor or the chaplain for this junior hockey team. And they shared his words that I thought would be helpful for us today that he shared at the very first memorial vigil for this team after the accident. He said the following. I'll read it to you. He said, As Jesus appeared to his disciples after he rose again, many of them wondered if it really was Jesus and he said I've heard many times over the past few years past few days I wonder if this community our community will ever really be the same and then he said you know how Jesus showed that he was who he said he was his scars his scars he said a scar is something that is healed but is still there and he spoke to that crowd in that small town and he said, This isn't going to go away, but it's not going to be as raw. Can we heal? Yes. Will the scars still be there? Yes. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, even when it is pain that leaves the most permanent scars. Often the things we can't change are the largest scars in our life, but they are proof of life. But proof of life that we parts of our lives that we can't control. But it's proof of redemption and resurrection and possibilities. You know it's interesting we see Mary one more time. It's in the book of Acts. It's after Jesus has been resurrected and he's left the scene and his disciples and his followers are gathered together and he is she is there as well, but this time she's there as a follower, as a believer. She's, she, still sees his, she still sees her son, but now her son has scars, and now she sees her Savior. She's felt the piercing of the sword, believe me. She has her own personal scars from surrendering to God. But when she humbled herself, when she was humbled to what God was doing, she experienced She experienced God's plan at deep levels, even when she couldn't understand. And our scars, we have them. I have them. You have them. Some maybe that can be seen, many that can't. Our scars will humble us. And humbleness is a powerful tool towards serenity. If you ever get a chance to visit the Holy Land, I hope to someday. If you visit the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, which is the traditional place, they mark where Christ was born. The only access to the chapel is a small door. Small door. It had been larger, but over the years, people were going through it. And they just kept shrinking it down, shrinking it down, shrinking it down. To, to the point now where you have to bend over. Almost kneel down and stoop down to be able to then enter the chapel and to be in that place. And to visit the site where they say that Jesus may have been born. And they renamed this the door of humility. Everyone who enters the place must stoop down to get inside. And I thought, I read that this week, I thought, what a vivid picture of a spiritual truth. Our model of this is God on this location, possibly, who humbled himself, who entered the world in the most humble way through a humble young girl. Humility. Humility is the narrow pathway for us towards serenity. And every time you see somebody, man, that person is such a serenity, it's such a peace around their life. I would imagine if you dug deep, you'd find a heart that's bathed in humility because serenity is not a place. It's a posture. And so today, whether you're in a ridiculous moment of chaos or maybe in your life, gratefully, you're in a place of relative calm. Let me challenge you to humbly bring yourself to him. That crossroads of chaos and serenity is redemption. And that I would challenge you that during this holiday season, we would stoop down. We would assume a posture of humility. And we would embrace the serenity that only he can bring. Because when we do that, it will be well with our souls. Father, we just pray right now in Jesus' name that you would just move in this moment, move in this time. Give us the strength, Lord, where it's tough and it's hard to even think about the things that are happening that feel so chaotic for us and so out of control and so uncomfortable. God, we ask that you would just uh, today just begin to elevate our level of trust in you. And God, I pray that we would also humbly submit ourselves to you. Then this time and this place and this season where we celebrate your arrival in a humble way, that we would again re-embrace humility in our relationship with you. I pray for those that have been pressing hard against you today, they have been pushing back against you, that today you would lead them towards a place where they could accept those things that they cannot change and embrace your redemption fully in their life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.